Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, you can also go ahead and into our app and you'll get the notes there so we can follow along. Uh, those of us who came back after Easter, welcome back. And some of you are watching online. And you were the ones who responded very quickly. Your fingers drew really quick clicking, so you are here. Uh, we don't know how much longer we're going to be able to hold everyone at this percentage of 50%, but we're hoping that as our church continues to reach out to more people, we, we are praying about finding other ways so we can have as many people experience the love and the grace of God. So we pray that you will join us for that. So hopefully you've turned to Romans chapter 13. And I wanted to start off with a question as we're continuing in the Roman series. I'm wondering, have you ever, um, I need you to be honest, all right? So you don't have to raise your hand, but just give me one of those winks or one of that nod, then I know it's you. But I'm wondering, has there ever been a time that you wanted to rebel and go against the rules? Okay, some of you don't, you don't mind, you're like, yes, that's me right now, that's me. But I think some of us, yeah, we'll say yeah all the time. I, I feel like that. Any kind of rules, any kind of specific specifications of what I need to do or I don't do, I just go totally against it. I think there's some of us who will say, no, I have never done that. I've listened to everything my mom said, everything what my dad wanted, and whatever my leader and whoever, I just have followed. And here you are. We said click before uh, right around eight, and you clicked, and here you are. So you have never disobeyed, and you just kind of lived your life obeying all the people who are significant in your life, who have some level of authority. But I would say most of us are kind of somewhere in the middle where we have this inclination or, or proclivity to want to rebel and disobey. Because whenever things are placed on us or we know that we ought to do something, but we don't want to do it, but then there are things that we should not do, but we do, there's many of us who feel that, you know that tension, but yet somehow by God's grace, we're like, you know what, I shouldn't do that. I should try to obey God. I should try to follow God. So I think many of us kind of fall into that category. Now, if you're a teenager or if you remember your teenage years, like every day is like rebellion. You wanted to go against your parents. You wanted to do things that are opposite of what your teachers have told you. And some of us are still experiencing delayed teenage years. You got to grow up. But if you know, there's something about do not that causes us to what? Want to do. I don't know what it is. And then when our parents tell us to do, we what? Do not. And that's just innate in, in a part of our depraved nature where we just want to disobey. I'm going to show you this quick video. It's, it was made in Belgium. And pretty much what they did was they, it was a TV channel that showed a lot of like different movies, different dramas. So they wanted to figure out a way to get people's attention. And so one way to do it was to actually do a prank. So they did a prank in city center square, in some town in Belgium. And what they did was push here for drama. Now, I don't know about you, but we have enough drama in our lives. You must be really crazy if you want more drama. So you, you, you'll just watch this video. You'll see different people kind of looking at it, passing it by. But then some people do push it. 
Because once again, they, they do things that you should not do, and the things that you should do, you do not do. So they push that button, and I want you to see the response and what happens. Because once again, this is a prank, but they're trying to get people's attention so that they could be somehow addicted to drama. So let's watch this together. <laughs> kind of ridiculous. <laughs> when you actually really think about this. I'm wondering how many of you would have pushed the button. There is something, once again, of things that we, I mean, clearly it says to add drama in your life. And we don't need any more, but we, we clearly are tempted to push that button. And I want to just challenge us as we think about this. It's about the human heart. And I think more than anything else, the human heart tells us why we need the gospel why the gospel is so important in our lives. And for no matter who you are, you can try to fake it, try to hide it. But what it really comes down to is there is something inside of us that we want to run our own. We want to run our own boat. We want to be the captain of our boat. We want to do what, God, what we want to do rather than what God wants us to do. And I think one of the best ways to look at our lives and see if we're submitted to God's authority is to even look at when it comes to making decisions. Can I ask us this morning, when it comes to making a decision in your life, do you ask other people? Uh, people who are in authority, people who might be wiser, who are further along, or do you just make decisions on your own? To me, that shows a lot about where your heart is, because I'm not saying you have to be totally dependent on people, because ultimately God is our authority, so we pray and we seek his face and he speaks to us. Some of us in this room, we struggle with the opposite, and we do everything what people tell, tell us to do, and so we struggle in a different way. But many of us are very independent, and we want to do what we want to do, make decisions on our own, and then tell people afterwards, but who is running your life? And I would like to say here this morning that for many of us, we are the ones who are running our lives. It's not God. It's not other people who love us and who are trying to guide us along, but it's us. And this is the reason why so many of us, our lives are a mess, and we are where we are right now because of poor decisions that we have made over the last several months or even the past several years. And that's why I love what C.S. Lewis writes. And he, he writes this. Listen to what he says. He says, the natural life that's talking about without the Holy Spirit, just when we trust in ourselves, he says the natural life in each of us is something self-centered, something that wants to be petted and admired, to take advantage of others' lives, to exploit the whole universe. And especially it wants to be left to itself, to keep well away from anything better or stronger or higher than it. Anything that makes us, uh, that makes it feel small. It knows that if the spiritual life gets a hold of it, all its self-centeredness and self-will are going to be killed and it is ready to fight tooth and nail to avoid that. I mean, he just described a lot of our hearts. That pretty much we, we want our eagles to be stroked. We want people to to admire us. We are so self-centered in all our decisions and everything that we do. And you know that if you surrender your lives to God, then that means that it has to kill that. And that is not something that many of us in this room are willing to do at this stage of our lives. And once again, this is the reason why there is that constant fighting and toiling back and forth. 
where there is a spirit nature in us and there is a flesh nature in us and it's constantly at war. And if we are honest this morning, we will say that the flesh nature wins more often than not. And I think this lack of submission to God and his purposes shows our lack of love, not only for God, but also our lack of love for others. Can I just say this? That a lot of times your selfishness and your desire to have your needs met, what happens is that you actually end up hurting people. And we see this time and time again. Because look at your lives because of the decisions that your parents have made. Some of it very self-centered. It's all about them. It has hurt you. Which is another plug for the 50 days of freedom. Some of us need to experience freedom. Some of us who are in relationships, a lot of the decisions you make is about yourself. And that's why you end up hurting your spouse or hurting that other person. Those of you, if you think about your relationship with your coworkers, that's the same way. In your own selfishness and what you desire, rather than saying, you know what, God, I, I want to serve people. I want to love people because you want what you want. You end up hurting people and estranging yourself from the relationship that can actually lead to some transformative experiences of salvation for others. Some of us, I would say right now, even in life group, with the people that God has sovereignly placed in your life because of your own selfishness, because it's all about you, your time, your energy, your whatever it may be, your future, your decisions you make, that you end up hurting other people. I always think about this, and one of the things that I say is like, you're not focused on the right, right things. A lot of people, oh, they're not going to miss me. Oh, you know, that doesn't really matter. But one of the things I tell people is that if we're a body, and you are part of that body in that life group, and you're not able to contribute in your time, and we build community together, then it's almost as if that body is kind of like out there by itself, that one limb. That's why it does affect the life group. Now, I'm not advocating that if you have other things you have to do, other commitments, that you can't miss life group. But some of us, you know, because you have a decision, right? When you're about to go home, do I want to go to life group or do I want to just stay home and rest and watch Netflix? And a lot of times our self-centeredness wins over. And I've shared this before, and I'll keep on sharing it, especially to those of you who are students, because you're still, many of you are immature, and a lot of times when the end of the uh, season or end of the semester comes, maybe you're like, oh, I can't go. I can't do this. But you knew that exam was coming up months ago. You knew that project was going to be given because you saw it on the syllabus. But because your life is undisciplined because everything is about you. So you game, you watch things, you waste time. Can I get a good amen single adults that college life is really not that busy? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Amen. You don't want to talk about, it, brother. This is why I like live. This is good. <laughs> but you are lazy. You are unfaithful. You're addicted to things. And so when the time comes where you have to study or you have to do that project or your grade is on the line, everything else goes. So your selfishness of doing what you wanted to do prior to all that months and weeks that you had, you affect other people. So instead of having a heart of contrition and repenting, saying, yeah, I've just been self-centered. It's all about me. We make excuses and we say, I want to be a good witness so I can study hard for Jesus. My 
goodness. I'll think of some other words. But anyway, um, my goodness. I'm not here to try to make you feel guilty, but I'm here to speak truth so that we can actually begin to look at our lives and examine ourselves. I think this is the reason why Paul addresses in Romans 13, as we're going to study today, he talks about submitting to governing authorities and learning how to tangibly love other people. And those of us who are new and you're joining us, welcome. This is how we do it all the time. Me just telling truth and speaking truth. But let, let, let me just say this. I don't know if you know this, but for seven months since October, we have been studying the book of Romans. And if you've been following along, we've been talking about the simple gospel. Somewhere along the line, if you have been brought up in the church, many of us have truncated this gospel. So it's all about, I have sinned and Jesus Christ came onto this earth. He lived a perfect life. Then he died on the cross, rose again from the dead. And if you accept this message of salvation, that you will be saved. And that is pretty much the gist of our salvation and understanding of the gospel. No wonder you have so many Christians who go on church on Sunday. They might even go to life group, but they don't live their lives radically for Jesus Christ. And this is, the why, this is the reason why we have said we cannot truncate this gospel. We're going to look at it as a whole. That's why for the seven months we've been talking about this. That we've got to look at the gospel from creation. That we, This is something that we've been talking about a lot. Creation and about the, how God made all things. And it was good. It was beautiful. What he intended for the flourishing of our lives because he loves us. But because of our disobedience, and not just our own disobedience, but it started all the way from the beginning of time through Adam and Eve, what we have noticed is because there was a fall, so we, they were separated from God. Because it, God gave us free will to choose. You are not loving when you control people. You love people when you're able to let them go. And so God says, you have the free will to choose, and they chose sin, and that's why they've been separated from God. And God has been on this mission when he said in Genesis, he says, where are you? It's not like God didn't know, like, where are you, Adam? No, he knew where he was, but he wanted him to come to that realization, Adam, to come to that realization, I am running away, from, I'm hiding because of this guilt that I now feel. Ever since then, God has been asking that question, where are you? And he's been on a mission to just find us because we are lost. And so through the fall, what he did was he did everything possible to bring forth the redemption. And that is through Jesus Christ. There were prophets from old. There were people who were coming and sharing the message. And then finally he came and he inaugurated the kingdom of God. That there is a king and that we're part of this kingdom. And we are citizens if we would take this invitation and say, Lord Jesus, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm sinful and I don't deserve this, but you have done something that I could not do for myself. So now I'm part of this kingdom and I worship you. And now you know that he is on the process of trying to restore all things to himself. That's why when you go to work, you're, part, you're involved in this restoration process. That when you have good relationships and you love people around you, that you're bringing it back to the original intent of learning to love God and love people. That's why when you're able to help the poor and the marginalized and you, you have compassion on them, what you're doing is you're sharing the heart of God. This is not the way it's supposed to be. 
That's why one of the most powerful things that you will begin to experience in your life is that when you understand the gospel, not as just a transaction where it's about I sin and I give my sins to Christ, Christ gives me salvation, but you see it from the holistic aspect of creation to the fall, to the redemption, and to the restoration. That's when you will begin to understand, wow, God has a purpose for me. God has a plan for me that I'm not here just to live my own life, but there is something that's greater. He wants to use me for his glory. And we've been going over this all throughout the past seven months. And if you haven't realized this by now, above chapter one, all the way to chapter 11, it's all been about our relationship with God. The whole 11 some chapter, it's all about our relation with God. That it's by faith, by salvation and righteousness, by faith alone. It's about God saying that, hey, I've created a new group of people that is my own. Both Jews and Gentiles. And as we talked about two weeks ago, as we started chapter 12, it's all about the horizontal relationship now. He's covered the vertical relationship with us and God, but now he's talking about the horizontal relationship. That's why he says, therefore, in view of God's mercies, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Because when you think about all that he has done and all that he is doing and all that he will do, that's when you come to that realization that God, here's my life. What do you want? I, I, I am all yours. Whatever you desire, I'm, I'm yours. Now we're going to get to chapter 13 today, and it's going to talk about our relationship once again with others, but more specifically with governing authorities, which I think we need to talk about. This is very important as a church, and also to talk about learning how to love people around us. So with that in mind, let me just give us the one thing, and I'm going to unpackage this as we look at Romans chapter 13. The one thing is simply this. If you just look it up here, it says this. We must allow the gospel to define us even as God continues to refine us. The gospel has to be the thing that defines who we are and why we do what we do. And in that process, then what he does is he's doing this continual work of refinement. He is refining you so that you can live your life according to the gospel and that you could become more like Jesus Christ. In the way we relate to one another, the way we relate to government, the way we relate to different situations at work and even at school, our relationships with people around us, it has to reflect the heart of God. That's why he is refining you. That's why marriage has a powerful effect of refining you. Because you could blame that other person, but it's like looking in a mirror, looking right at you. So those of you who are in college, you're not growing up, don't worry. I, I don't worry about you. Because I can't wait until you become a single adult. And if you still are, if you, some of you are single adult and you're still immature, you're still self-serving, don't worry. I, I don't worry too much about Because wait until you get married. But you're like, Pastor, I'm married now. Wait until you have some kids. Not just one, but two, three And then you realize, wow, God is refining me so I can become more like Jesus. So we must allow the gospel to define us as God continually works in us to refine us. So I'm going to point to two things that we see here in this passage of areas of our lives where we allow the gospel to define us even as God continues to refine us. The first area is this, that we must submit to God's leadership. That we must submit to God's leadership. 
I think one of the struggles that the early Christians or the early Christ followers had was learning how to live with this tension of being part of the citizens of this Roman empire that they lived in, especially this was written to the people in Rome, and also to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. There was this tension. And that is why in chapter 13, Paul tries to answer how a Christ follower who should live as a citizen of the kingdom of God while at the same time living here on this earth as a citizen of this Roman government, how can we live our lives? So that's what he's trying to address. And then in verse 7, 1 through 7, we'll, we'll, that's the first part. What he's doing is he's giving us a framework in which he gives this command of submitting to governing authorities. Now, I'm just going to say this. I pray through this and I'm asking God, because in a size this big, and many people in our church, and maybe some who are not in our church will be watching this, I know that many of you have very strong political views. Whether you are pro-government or against government, uh, there are a lot of people who have since left in light of everything that was going on with the protests and even with the national security law. And so I know that this is one of the charged topics that... Whenever you talk about this as dinner, no matter how great the steak and lobster is, you, you get a stomachache. You know what I'm talking about? And you start defining who's my friend, who's not. What color are you wearing? And so when you think through this, I want to just, just challenge us. Rather than imposing your own feelings and thoughts on what you feel that the government should or should not do, can I just ask us to look with the humility with what the Word of God says? Because I am going to address both sides. Because we can't skip over this because this is what Paul talks about in chapter 13. And I think this is something that is relevant. I mean, if there's ever a time in, in Hong Kong which is relevant, it, it is now. So that how do we live as citizens of Hong Kong here on this earth, whether you're studying or whether you are working, whether this is your hometown or whether you're getting a PR, whatever the situation may be, how do, you, how do I live in this environment in Hong Kong, but yet also knowing that I'm a citizen of heaven, of the kingdom of God? So that's what we want to talk about. So he's going to give us, and I'm going to highlight three things that we notice here about what it means to live as a citizen of the kingdom, as well as citizens of here on this earth. So let me just first say this. It's a framework now. It's, it's understanding a mindset, a perspective, especially when it comes to governing authorities. The first thing is this, that God institutes earthly authority. That's the first thing. It's God who initiates or institutes earthly authority. Let me go ahead and read um, of the first two verses. So, uh, once again, instead of me injecting whatever I feel on this, I'm just going to allow the Word of God kind of to speak to us. And why is this important? Because once again, I think in a topic of governing authorities, especially about government, it is really easy to make it all about how we feel and what our thoughts are and our background. And uh, those of you who might not know, yes, I'm Korean uh, in background and ethnicity, but I'm American through and through. So you know how I feel about a lot of things, you know? And I'm not proud about necessarily being American because nowadays it's not good to be an American. Like, yeah, I am Korean, K-drama. Yeah, I'm Korean. Like, oh, so just so that we're clear here. 
But um, I, I think some of you who might not know where I stand and my views, I mean, I've been brought up in the States. And so there's a lot of things that I value. But then I'm here the last six years with my wife and my family. And so that's where we realize that, okay, like we have to adjust with a lot of things that have been going on. So I'm going to go ahead and read uh, Romans chapter 13. And if you have your Bibles, you can just kind of read along or you can just kind of look up here if you don't have one. And this is what the word of God says. I'm going to read the first two verses. It says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Can we just pause here? I want to talk about these two verses as we're talking about the importance of submitting to God's leadership. Especially, especially as we think about how the gospel defines us and God is continually trying to refine us. What we notice here is that Paul gives a clear argument for the command of submitting to governing authorities is because God established it and he institutionalized it. He has instituted the government. Now, God has ordained this. That means that it is part of his will, which is supposed to be for the good of the people. That's why when you think about other institutions that God has ordained, you realize it's really good for us and good for society. So think about marriage. Think about the family. That's another institution that God has established. And also even church and church governance and church leadership is another thing that God has put in place for our good and for the advancement of his kingdom. Now, for the Jewish believers, they understood about submission to governing authorities because it's from the Old Testament. Let me give you some verses so that you can understand why Paul is making this argument that every single one of us should submit ourselves to the governing authorities. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Look up here, and I want you to read the yellow section with me. It says this, he controls the course of world events. He, come on, say this with me, removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. So it's not people who are voting, but it's God who brings forth different leaders and he takes out and then he brings in. And it's a phenomenal thought if you think about this. And many of us know that a person who is the chief executive director, they're going to step down and they're not, now we don't really have much of a choice. There's a guy named Mr. Lee who is now going to kind of fill in the place there. And so when you think about this, you realize, okay, then if what you're saying, pastor, is that from Scripture, it's God who removes kings and he sets up kings and people to govern the authority. So it's really God who is leading. Another verse you will notice here, Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, it says this, For this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the holy ones so that everyone may know that the Most High, what does he do? Come on, say this with me, rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest people. So because God rules over the kingdoms of this world, what does he do? He chooses whom he is going to put in the governing authorities. 
So once again, we're seeing that God is in control. He is the one who's leading. Let me give you a couple more verses. It says here in the Daniel chapter 4, verse 32b. I'm going to read it from the message translation to draw out what the meaning is. It says this, enough time to learn that the high God rules king, human kingdoms and puts what? Whomever he wishes in charge. So sometimes we think, oh yeah, I'm going to vote for this person. I want this person. But it's God who's leading. I'm still trying to figure out how, why God put the last president in but in the United States, but I, I'm going to believe that there's a purpose. Here's another verse. It's Proverbs chapter 8, verse 15 and 16 in the message translation. Come on, say this with me. With my help. So this is God speaking. With my help. It says leaders rule and lawmakers legislate fairly. And what? With my help, governors govern along with all in legitimate authority. So here's this idea that once again we're establishing here. It is not you. It is not that person, but it's God who is establishing and instituting the government, the governing authority. Now, in the Old Testament, the people knew that God did sovereignly rule over this earth. He did actually place different people. He is actually moving their hearts and accomplishing his purposes. Who knows why some of the stuff is going on in Ukraine? Who knows why some of the other stuff is happening around the world? But I do know this. God is still in control. Can I get a good amen to that? We, we, we don't fully understand it. Everything seems so bad, but God might have a different plan. What if he's opening doors for salvation that we don't even know about? What if he's doing things so that he can be more glorified? Whatever the case may be, all we know is, God, you're still in control. And that's why in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Listen to what it says. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by whom? It's the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. So he's not only choosing and establishing and putting into place, but he's directing it and leading. That doesn't mean that they're followers of Jesus, but God is bringing about things. He is fully in control. Now, why is all this important? Because that's the Old Testament. But now, as many of these early believers were Jewish, they had that foundation that it's God who institutes the governing authorities. Listen to what it says in the New Testament. I'm just going to give you a couple verses. And this is both uh, Paul and Peter, the apostle Peter mentioning this. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Listen to what it says. It says, remind the believers to what? Come on now. Submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, and also we're going to look at verse 17. It says this in the Living Bible. For the Lord's sake, obey every law of your government, those of the king as head of the state, and those of the king's officers. For he has sent them to punish all who do wrong and to honor those who do right. Show respect for everyone. Love Christians everywhere. Fear God and what? Honor the government. Since God is the one who has ordained the office, if we rebel against authority, then we are actually rebelling against God. Now, I want you to notice in verse 2, if you look at verse 2 again, we see the word resist. It appears three times in this one verse. The word resist is translated as taking a stand against. So when you resist, you are taking a stand against. 
So when you resist the government and the governing authority in your life, then you are standing against that. But then we just argue that every governing authority and every authority in your life, God has instituted it. So in reality, you are standing against God. Now, I don't know how you're feeling right now, but when I was doing this, I'm like, ooh, wow. Okay? That because God instituted authorities in our lives, governing authorities, if we stand against it, if we resist it, then we are then standing and resisting against God because God is the one who institutes government. Now, I want to just pause here, and some of you are thinking, I know what you're Okay, I don't know what you're thinking, but I kind of do kind of want to conjecture here and say, I kind of know what you're thinking, because if you're like me, if I was sitting where you are and there's a dude up here, you know, just speaking like this, I'll be thinking this. I'll be thinking to myself, I go, come on. Pastor Seth, where have you been for the last eight years? I mean, that would be my thought. You're sharing all this, but it's almost as if you haven't been here for the last eight years under the um, um, yellow umbrella movement, all the way to the protests that happened with millions of people there and with this national security law that has been passed. And so to that, this is what I'll say. I will address civil disobedience later, okay? Later in this message, so don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to it. But can you just follow along with me? So remember, remember that the gospel, what? It defines us. And God is continually, what? He's refining us. And one of the areas is this idea that submitting to God's leadership is important. Paul then gives us three framework, and one of them I just covered, that God is the one who institutes any governing authority. The second thing that I want you to note here is that God not only institutes earthly authority, but he insists on obedience to authority. So not only does he institute it, but he insists on obedience to authority. Let me go ahead and read verse 3 through 5. I'm going to just continue and just let the word of God speak. It says this, For rulers are not a terror of good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, that's Bible talks about the marvels before any other, okay? This is the amazing part of God's word. Anyway, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of consciousness. Now, this is really interesting here. Uh, well, it's also interesting because I just lost my sermon. Um, okay, let's, let's just talk from the heart, Okay. Uh, this is great. I, I love this. God, God has a, just a unique way of doing things. Okay? You cannot open file. Um, come on, Jesus. I, I, I could shoot from my hip, but uh, I, need, I, need, I need to stay focused because I could just ramble on forever. So here we go. I got it. Okay, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> So we're like, yeah, please hurry. Yeah, please hurry. Okay. So I, I'm going to try to hurry. Okay. I'm going to try to hurry here. Okay. 
Let me just quickly go over this. Um, Paul is saying that if people are obeying the law, then there should be no fear of the government. That's what he's saying. Why? Because the earthly government is God's servant. And that's kind of weird to hear that. That the earthly government is God's servant in the sense that it is serving and accomplishing God's purposes. Some of you are like, how? How are they accomplishing God's purposes? Well, think about this. All forms of earthly government, it must enforce some minimal level of justice or the government will collapse. In fact, this is where anarchy will rule. And this is sometimes how tyrants and sometimes when there's a void of leadership and government, as we saw what happened in Iraq, when Saddam Hussein was then ousted out and he was killed, what did we see? We saw ISIS come in. Because once again, when there's a void, then tyrant people who are tyrants come in or there's anarchy. And so that's not God's purpose. God is the God of order. And so when he says that the government is God's servant, it's to accomplish what he desires to accomplish here on this earth. Now, in verse 4, we see the metaphor of the sword and the avenger. The government is the one who executes justice by punishing the wrongdoer. That's why there's a sword. It's about execution. The metaphor is there. And God is the one who is going to avenge. That's why we have courts and the laws. Now, there is the issue of civil disobedience, and I want to talk about it now. Some people will use these verses and argue that we need to absolutely obey all authority, everything. And I, was, I, and I, would, I would beg to differ and say you don't have the full picture. Because I know some people say you use some of these verses during the protest and say we should not be doing this or that. And some people use these verses, especially when there's persecution in different parts of the world. We should just follow what the government says. But if you look at history, you realize that there's a lot of instances of civil disobedience. And so one of the things that I think it's really important to understand is that the problem is that no government is 100% for God and for his laws. Can I get an amen to that? Because of that, because of that, that tension is going to build for the believer. Because once again, we are citizens of this earth, but we're also citizens of heaven. And so if there's no government that's 100% exactly following the ways of God, that means that there's going to be some things and laws and different things that are passed that are not going to be good for the believer in terms of their conscience and obeying God. Therefore, it is important to remember that the believers are supposed to submit to government with the understanding that the government is in its rightful place in relation to God. So let me explain a little bit of what I mean by that. If the government tries to command believers to do something that is contrary to God's laws, then we must ultimately obey God rather than the human rule. That's why in verse 5 it says, what? We, we obey for the sake of conscience. But when our conscience is violated, then many people in history have disobeyed. Now, let me define what that means, because I think some of us are still like, I still don't get it. So let me try to define it. The Oxford Dictionary defines civil disobedience as this. The refusal to comply with certain laws or to pay taxes and fines as a peaceful form of political protest. Now, you guys are not Oxford. Some of you maybe graduated from there and you hear it. Welcome. 
So if you don't believe me, if you don't believe me that this is what the Oxford did, let's use Cambridge, okay? So some of you have never, you've dreamt about going there, but here you are. So anyway, so let's use a Cambridge Dictionary, and it defines it this way. The act by a group of people or refusing to obey law or pay taxes as a peaceful way of expressing their disapproval of those laws or taxes in order to persuade the government to change them. That's what civil disobedience is. Therefore, people like Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., and many others throughout history, they led campaigns of civil disobedience because they wanted to persuade the authorities to change their policies that were unjust to the people. Then as Christ followers, biblically speaking, when are we allowed to act in civil disobedience? And I would say there's only two instances. And you got to get this right. Because if you fail to get this right, I think you're going to violate some of the biblical principles. There are only two instances when you can have civil disobedience, which is pretty much not obeying the government. It's not sedition. <laughs> you know, oh, got to be careful. But uh, the Bible says, okay, the Bible says there's only two instances. And here, here are the two. If the government commands you to do something that God forbids. That's the first instance. And let me just talk a little bit about this. And this is scriptural. Do you remember the story of Moses? How he was born? If you look at Exodus chapter 1, verse 15, all the way through chapter 2, verse 10, you will notice that there's a story of these two midwives. Because Pharaoh, during that time, passed a law that says that every child that's born of Hebrew descent, if they are born as a male, kill them. If it's a female, we can keep them. Opposite of Asia, right? So it says, if it's male, kill them. If it's female, keep them. And these two midwives, they understood the laws of God and any kind of killing, murder is wrong. This is the reason why we as believers, we do not believe in abortion because we believe that birth, you could call it a fetus, which I've always argued with. No one says, oh, I'm having a fetus. No, no one says that. And some of you have more medical background and maybe more biology background. But we believe, as the Bible says, even according to Psalm 139, that he knits us together in our mother's room. So on the moment of inception from the sperm and the egg, then that is when that is life. It is not when it's viable outside of the body. But life begins on inception when there is a sperm and an egg and that's where God has designed. And he's knitting that child in that mother's womb. Now, with that be, being said, these two midwives, as they delivered the baby, they realized it was a male. And so what did they do? They put this baby, who's later called Moses, in a basket and they put down the Nile River. And this is when it was picked up by an Egyptian and then took it into the Pharaoh's household. Pharaoh's household. So what they did was they disobeyed Pharaoh in his command because they believed in a higher law which says do not murder. Let me give you another example. 
In Daniel chapter 6, you'll notice about Daniel and his friends. They were told to bow down and worship King Darius. And they were also told not to pray. So that's the law given to Daniel and the people of that land. But Daniel said, I am not going to, along with his uh, two other friends, three other friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that we're, we're not going to bow down to this God, even though it's a law. And we are going to continue to pray because I've been praying three times a day and we're going to open the window towards Jerusalem and we're going to pray. So once again, a law was given. And because this governmental law told them not to do something, that it clearly the Bible says that it's a good thing to do. So that's why they decided to go against it. Now, that kind of leads to the second instance. So once again, the first one is when the government commands you to do something that God forbids. The second one is this, if the government forbids you to do something that God commands, which is a Daniel 6 passage. I want to give you another one from the New Testament. Do you remember Acts chapter 5, after Jesus resurrected from the dead? that they were sharing the gospel to as many people as possible. And many of the Jewish leaders, they said, stop teaching about Jesus. Stop talking about the gospel. And what happened? We saw Peter and some of the disciples, as they were brought in, they were imprisoned, they were brought in. And listen to what it says in Acts chapter 5. We're going to read it right here in verse 29. In the voice translation, it says this. If we have to choose between obedience to God and obedience to any human authority, then we must what? Obey God. So once again, if the government forbids you to do something that God commands, then once again, you are able to have the civil disobedience. Let me just pause here for a second. Just take a deep breath. I know this might go a little bit long, but I need you to kind of take this in. Because we are living in a climate where it's politically charged. And one of the things that I'm going to say very clearly is that if there are things that the government is telling you not to do, that God clearly tells you that you should do, or the government is telling you to do things that the Bible clearly tells you not to do, then a lot of the feelings that we have in this political climate, then you have biblical proof. But if it's something because of the way you were raised up, or because of certain values that maybe it doesn't clearly speak in Scripture, then I want to challenge some of us to rethink about how we understand this passage. Because I clearly told you, as we see from what Paul is writing, it's God who institutes governing authorities. And because he instituted it, we also see here it's God who insists on obedience to that authority. Which then leads me to the third part, which is going to help us to have this framework is that God involves us to do our part. Let me try to go through this as quickly as I can. I'm going to read verse 6 through 7. Listen to what it says in verse 6 through 7. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. It's kind of interesting because here's Paul closing out this section and he's now saying, you have a part in this. So not only God institutes the governing authorities, he insists on our obedience, but now he says, you are involved in this, then do your part. 
And that part is he addresses the issue of taxes. Because no matter how you feel about taxes, can, can, I, can I have someone who's so joyful about taxes? There's not a single person. Well, if you are, then I, I, God bless you. I, please, your heart is pure. But anyway, all I can say, there's not a single person who gets really excited about taxes. Tax season, yes. Let me just give my money away, hard-earned money. Let me just give it away, right? So can I just assume that many of us were not excited about taxes. But here Paul talks about how we have, no matter how you feel about it, that we have to pay taxes. Because why? The taxes run the government. It funds the roads and other things. Now, is there excess waste? Yes, of course. Every government. There's corruption at times. But all we know is that imperfect people are trying to run this government that God has instituted. And so we see that even Jesus paid taxes. Some of you are like, did he? I will go as far as to say even Jesus' parents pay taxes. Because if you look at the Christmas story, you realize that what? That Joseph and Mary, they went back to their hometown, Joseph's hometown, because they were taking a consensus, there a census there. That's how they know that people are paying taxes. And so even Jesus, if you remember the story in Matthew Chapter 22, verse 21. Remember when they said, okay, who, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? If you're talking about this kingdom of God, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, bring me a coin. He goes, whose face or whose, whose inscription is on that coin? What did Jesus say? After they said, it's Caesar's, this is what he says. He says, then he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. So if you have to pay taxes, then you pay taxes. And part of tithing, that's to God, so you pay that or you give that and as an offering. So let me just pause here and just ask us just a few questions for us to reflect on. Did you know that all authority came from God this morning, even as you walked in here? That's why even me having authority over this church, along with Pastor Bo and some of our leaders, it's not our authority, but it's the authority that God has given. Now, we're imperfect. We make mistakes. And sometimes we might get it wrong. But we try to pray and discern and see what it is that God wants us to do because he wants us to govern this church. As a follower of Christ, are you living your life under God's authority? If he instituted in everything that you do, can people see that you are under God's authority? Are there people of authority in your life that you do not respect or honor? Because he talks about that. We must submit to God's leadership. Once again, there are two areas that I kept on mentioning about how we must allow the gospel to define us even as God continues to refine us. The first one is submitting to God's leadership. The second thing is this, we must show God's love. He literally shifts gears. So it seems, let me, let me just kind of connect it together. Because he's talking about governing authorities and submitting to it, and then he talks about love. <laughs> so some of you are like, how does that all work? Well, let's read verse 8 through 14. This is what the word of God says. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is how Paul closes out chapter 13. It's kind of interesting. Because earlier in chapter 7, if you can, can we just go back to chapter uh, verse 7? I, I, I want you to get this. you got to get this as we're talking about submitting to governing authorities. Verse 7, what does it say? It says, pay to all who is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now, the reason why he shifts gears, and it seems like he's talking about something completely different, but what you will realize is connected. So look at it this way. I'm going to read it from the message translation, verse 7, and hopefully you can get this. Listen to what it says. It says this. Don't run up debts except for the huge debt of love you owe each other. When you love others, you complete what the law has been after all along. So he's talking about debt and don't rack up a huge debt. But he says the only debt, the only debt that you should have is a debt of what? Of loving one another, loving people. Now, why is this important? Because something that all of us have to remember is that the issue of debt. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But let me just ask a question. So it's a rhetorical question. I'm going to tell you ahead of time so you don't raise your hand. Some of you are sleeping on a board out of your mind, so you're going to raise your hand. So don't raise your hand. Let's turn to somebody next to you and say, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Here's the question. How many of you are in debt? <laughs> some of you are like, I am and I will continue because this college tuition is expensive. So the issue, listen to me carefully, the issue of debt is really about the topic of selfishness and the topic of loving others. Some of you are like, how? Let me explain. You might be thinking, what are the connections between the two? Well, here's the connection. If you think about selfishness, it is really about taking and using people for what? Using people and things for yourself. That's what selfishness is. That's why people who are selfish, they're always thinking, what benefit do I get from this? How can I use people or use certain things to get what I want? That's a very selfish person. But loving people or people who are loving, it's always about generosity and about giving and about serving. So when you put it all together, what you will see is this. Paul is arguing that you will either love people and use money for others' benefit, or you will love money and use people for your benefit. Are you with me? Did you get that? What he's trying to say is this, that if you are not paying your taxes, or if you're trying to cheat some things out of government, or if you are in debt, what he's simply saying is that it is a reflection of your self-centeredness. 
Because selfishness and self-centeredness is always about taking and getting. That's why when you look at so many families and you see so many different people, some of us even in this room right now, we are in debt because why? Because we want to have some kind of image or we want to buy certain things because our hearts desire. We want that. We want the latest and the newest of whatever it may be. And so in that insecurity and wanting to earn some kind of respect from others, we buy things, we do things so that we can have all these things, security, whatever it may be. And really it's about you. Because selfishness is about taking and what I can get. But loving, if you're going to love, it's really about giving. It's about what's best for that other person. So let me put it in the context that many of you understand. That's why when you come to life group and you, after a while you're like, you know what? I'm not getting anything out of it. You are a selfish, self-centered person because it's about you. What you can get, what you are supposed to get. And it's not. If you are a loving person, you'll be thinking, what can I give? What can I be generous about? My time, my energy, my resources. That's when you are a loving person. And so here is Paul, when he looks at this, he says the way you spend money, in essence, what he's trying to say is the way you spend money, you will know where their priorities and where their heart is. That's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, he says, isn't it obvious or it's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will want, uh, most want to be and end up being. This is why the way a person spends their money and their time is how you can tell where their priorities and where their affections are. Always. I don't even have to know that person. You just have to look at and calculate on a spreadsheet where they're spending their time, where they're spending their money, and then you will realize where their heart is and what their priorities are. And the problem with this is because when you think about gener generous people, the reason why they're so loving is because they're not thinking about themselves. How can I bless other people? So either we will use people or we will love people. And when you use people, it's because you're self-centered. It's something you want to get. But when you love people, it's about others and how you can bless. Now, why is all this kind of connected? I think, as I think about this passage, is that we cannot love when we are in debt. Think about that for a moment. If the reason why some of us are in debt or we have like financial issues, it's because many of the decisions you've made, it's really about you. Now, maybe not 100%, but majority of the time, it's about you, what you want. And so when there's different opportunities to love, you cannot. When there are decisions you have to make, you cannot make those decisions because you are now driven and the God of your life is this debt and finances. Let me put it this way. So maybe this will kind of help us to understand. When you think about which job to take, a lot of us decide on the job because what pays what? The most money. I mean, let's be honest here. 
So instead of thinking, well, they're going to pay me a little bit extra, but when I think about where I'm right now, I have a relationship with some of these people, and I feel like this one person is so close to experiencing God and coming to know Jesus Christ. They're coming out to life group. I have this relationship. But once again, if you are driven by that decision of finances, or if let's say you're in debt, you're going to pay off debt, so you're going to want to pick a job that will give you more money. Now think about it this way. Because you are in debt, maybe your son or your daughter are saying, dad or mom, can you spend time with me? But you can't because once again, the decision that you're making is because you have to work. You have to do OT because that is what's going to help pay the bills and pay the debt that you're in. So now when you look at it, you realize you have a choice of spending time with your child or spending time at work. So who governs your life? It is the debt that you're trying to pay or the lifestyle that you want. So that's why you will choose OT and work over your child. And no wonder so many children, even especially in Hong Kong, are struggling. The youth are struggling with so many different issues because, once again, the parents have made a choice because their God is a God of money and success. Boy, it's quiet here. Okay, let's close out. You hear pin drop. This is what happens when, when truth is like laid out. It's not just money, but it's like time. Everything, everything in life is because it is who's governing your heart. If you love God and love people, then everything that you realize that you have is to be generous and to bless people. But when you're self-centered and you make everything about yourself, then you're going to try to want more, have more of this, more of that. And then it begins to dictate your decisions. So what it really does, it exposes the affection of your heart. What is it that you love? Is it God and his kingdom and his people? Or is it you and about your lifestyle, about your success, and about what you're going to do? To those of you who are single adults, we love you. You know we love you. And that's why we're going to speak truth to you. I was thinking junior high, puberty, zit, voice, you know, all that kind of stuff. I thought that was the worst time of your life, but it's not. It will pass. And no matter how selfish you are at that time, it's not as selfish. Just, just wait until you become college. And when you go off to college, you realize you're still selfish in many ways. But man, I was just giving some thought recently, and I, I realized that the single adult life, it really fuels, and it's really hard. And I'm not trying to come down on you. I'm just telling you, I, I could feel, I'm feeling with you how hard single adult life is because it's really about you. Your career. You wanting to get, have a relationship and get married. Like just think about your life right now. You're like a teenager with a lot of money now and so you're going to buy all this stuff. It's a, I'm, not, I'm not trying to speak down to you. I'm just telling you, it is a hard life. That in order to fight against this, you need not only community, but you need the power of God to break you, to come to a point where you realize, this is not about me. It's not about my life. 
I'm not saying that you shouldn't grow in your career. I'm not saying that you should not get married. You should get married, grow in your career, and tie, and do all this stuff. Praise God. But I'm telling you right now, this stage of your life, if you're a single adult, it is all about you. And we love you and we want you to excel in so many things. But this is the thing that's controlling you. So you don't have time for God. You don't have time for life group. You don't have time for LCG. You don't have time to read the Bible. You don't have time to pray. So no wonder every decision you're making is about you. And everything that you do, everything that you're looking forward to, it's about you. When is it the last time that you actually pause and say, it's not about me, but it's all about you, God. It's about your kingdom. So that might mean that I'm going to have to do some things that I might not want to do naturally. But God, give me the strength and give me the heart to do it. There might be things for you to be faithful in giving because you want to be generous because you want to love people. You want to love the church. That's what we're praying for you. Pastor Bo and I we're, and the leaders of the city ministry, we're praying for you. We're praying that God will do something powerful in your life, that you will encounter him. We don't have time for all this stuff. We'll study this this week in Bible. Well, we're going to close out. Anyway, uh, we, show, we show love by generosity. Verse 9 and 10. It's interesting that he actually talks about some of the commandments. Commandment number 6, commandment number, uh, what is it? Yes, yeah, 6, 7, 8, and 10. Do you know what all those commandments deal with? People. relationship with people that's why he mentions it if you're really loving you will obey these commands that's why he quotes leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 where he sums up the whole law and he simply says love your neighbor as yourself and then verse 11 and verse 12 and all the way through verse 14 Pretty much what he's saying is this. He's saying that it is a new life that God has given you. He uses the imagery of putting on clothing. We're putting on Christ. And that's why Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 to 24, he says, Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. That is why we must allow the gospel to define us, even as God continues to refine us. I think one of the most beautiful things about this passage is that it gives us a glimpse of the gospel. Why is this the case? It's because when you think about this, Jesus Christ, who had everything, gave it all up so that he can come to this earth and live the life that you and I could not live. And guess what? He was not selfish in any way. He was the most generous because he gave his life to us and for us. And that's why he's our great example. And as we submit under his authority and under his leadership, then we're going to be able to love people. And that's when, when people will see that this gospel message is not this truncated gospel, but it's a gospel that's full. That we're actually being invited into the kingdom of God and to follow him. Can I just give us a couple of things just to think about, pray about, apply into your life this coming week in light of a message like this?
The first thing is this. I want to really encourage us. To, let's pray for those in authority. Can I get a good amen to that? Amen. I don't care how you feel about the government, what they did, what rights or whatever freedoms that you had before, all that stuff. I feel you. But let me just say this. When was the last time you actually prayed? When was the last time you actually prayed for Carrie Lack? And sometimes it breaks my heart when I see all these cartoons and all this kind of stuff. But I was just thinking, what if you were in that position? Would you be able to make good decisions? When there's all these other forces that are coming in that you have to try to comply to, and then think about the people, I realize, wow, that's a tough job. I thought pastoring was hard. Forget it. This is easy. People were cheering because she's not going to run for again. But then, is the next person any better? Who knows? When was the last time you actually prayed for the government, for the police? Oh, it's so quick to, and easy to criticize and complain. But before you do that, use your words for giving grace and being generous and to pray. When was the last time you prayed for your leaders? It's so easy to complain about them, isn't it? They're not doing this. Oh, they're not reaching out. My leader be, last year did this. What if that leader that you have is at a job that requires a lot of time and effort? See, the problem that I see, some of you guys have never walked in their shoes. You work nine hours, you are exhausted mentally, emotionally, physically, and then right afterwards, you cannot rest. You got to be able to prepare yourself to go into life group, to lead a bunch of 20-some people in that group who some of them don't even care if they're there or not. Do you know how taxing that is? Because if you don't think about certain things, then yeah, what's the big deal? But if these leaders don't think about certain things, about the direction and how the life is growing, it's going to affect the whole group. So this is where I realize that some of you have no clue. And I cannot wait until you become a parent. I cannot wait until you become a manager and you oversee all these people who don't want to be there. And you have to try to motivate. I pray that somehow something will click for you and say, man, I've been a horrible life group member. Or if God gives you the privilege to ever lead in our context, that you realize, wow, that you will, you will go and wash every single leader's feet that you have ever had in your lifetime, that you are also. This is so hard. I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you dealt with a person like me. When was the last time you actually prayed for your leaders? When was the last time in your LCG that you actually prayed for your life group leader? So you could then disciple and teach this younger member to learn how to pray and to love to be generous with your time and your resources. Let's pray for our governing authorities and those who are in authority over us. I want to elicit, I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you, pray for Pastor Bo and I, pray for us. There's some huge decisions we're going to make for the church. and we, I mean, I don't know. I haven't figured it all out. And I don't know if I will until, I see, until God knocks me over the head and says, this is it. I'm like, okay. There's some big decision that's going to be costly. There's going to be some decision that's going to affect other people. Like you don't want to be in this position. It's not easy. So you could complain all you want, but that's a spirit of self-centeredness. But how do you become generous and to give and to say, how can I bless you? How can I pray for you? Pastor, uh, life group leader, 
I don't know why God just spoke to me and I want to pray for you. How can I pray for you? The second thing is this. Prioritize generosity. It's interesting they talk about taxes. It's interesting they talk about just the generosity, the spirit of loving, the debt to love people. And I've always said that generous people are always giving people. They give their time. They give their energy. They give, they give their resources. Why? Because that is the gospel. The gospel is the gospel of generosity. And those who have really experienced it, they are faithful in giving of themselves. Some of you haven't been faithful in giving, tithing, and offering. They're separate things. We pay taxes to the government, and they use it for sometimes bad purposes. But then we're not faithful in our tithing. And sometimes we're like 10%. But that should be like the minimum. To this day, when our family have given generously to people and to other causes and other things to the church, we have never gone hungry. God has always provided. He has always showed us His faithfulness. Always. And some of you don't have those kind of testimonies because you're not stepping out and trusting in God to say, God, I'm going to do this faithfully to give to you. So if you don't have debt, think about it then you're giving to God, you're giving your taxes, then you have this offering that you can give to bless other people, to give to other ministries. You hear about a need and like, I, I want to give to that. So prioritize generosity. And lastly, promote the principle of love. Man, I think as I'm getting older, at the end of the day, it's not about success. It's not about how big and what all the stuff we do. But the question will be, how well did you love? That's why I find it so ironic in so many of these universities, they, these big donors give to that school so they can have their name written on a building. So they could be like, run, run, you know. <laughs> run away. But how many of you sit in that chair in the auditorium and go, wow, this man, he was such an incredible man. He ran fast. That's why they had to do, they have to put double the name, run, run. No disrespect. I don't even know their family, but they've given a lot to many causes, I think, in the Hong Kong. Is that what we were shooting for? But I pray they're like, I know him. I know her because she impacted my life. He impacted my life. I've never been the same. I, I am forever changed. Not only because of Jesus, but because this person became Jesus in flesh in some ways because they were so much like Jesus. And the way they loved, the way they forgave, the way they were patient. I do pray that we will be those kinds of people. Let's promote the principle of love in everything that we do. So when everything's said and done and we die and you won't even know it, but we have a funeral service and there will be hundreds, if not thousands of people gathered at that funeral. And as people are giving eulogies and people are sharing some of the praises of your life, I pray there will be a common thread that this person lived out the gospel message and lived so generously because God has given so much to them that they have blessed me. Is that your story? Oh, that's mine too. This person blessed me. 
And then we'll go hear from the words of Jesus. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's allow the gospel to define us as God continually refines us. And part of that area of our lives is that we submit under his leadership and then we show his love to others. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.